Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends beyond the binary, my patron peeps, my baking, my b- 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 great bakers. Uh, this is uh, the second uh, um, episode of our Great British Bake Off, uh, behind the Bake Off coverage for episode one. And then we'll move on. on episode three, we'll cover episode two, the facts behind the Great British Bake Off. Though it's episode two, we may mash up episodes two and three. I'm not sure. This is the first half of a two-part episode. It just because, like, with everything, I'm trying to figure out what this is as I make it. And thanks, everybody, for your feedback. I know this is really lulling stuff, and this is even more lulling because we get to get into the facts behind the, like, or stuff that came up that I put, you know, that I said, well, I want to learn more about that. Uh, on this episode, and one of those things was Bristol, because Briny, Briny's from Bristol, or Briny did a, a a biscuit about Bristol, and it did make me wonder, uh, like, what are some of the things you would see in Bristol? Because Briny featured some of the landmarks, uh, and so I'm over here at visit Bristol, visit Bristol.co.uk. And uh, right now I'm at the Brit- Bristol Landmarks, but w- maybe we'll even learn more because I love. Uh, so one day, hopefully, I'll visit these landmarks. We'll read through them. Oh yeah, here it is. This is definitely some of these were on there. Uh, so we know everyone likes to see famous Mount landmarks in Bristol, and in Bristol we have plenty for you to tick off your list. Uh, from the majestic and world famous Clifton Suspension Bridge to the Georgian Queen's Square and the beautiful Cabot Tower. So here's the top list. There's 24 results. Uh, uh, so there's Brunel, Brunel's uh, SS Great Britain. Uh, that one is in, uh, in Harborside. A step aboard the world's great first great ocean liner, dating back to 1843. You could, whoa, 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 boy. Climb the dr- lit rigging. That's cool. Uh, um, head deep into the dry dock and meet Victorian passengers. Uh, and there's two additional museums. I love, oh my gosh, so there's going to be Victorian passengers. So they would definitely be on my stop because that sounds awesome. And climbing the rigging, got to be kidding me. Okay, Queen Square is in the Old City. It's a magnificent Georgian park in, in area in the heart of Bristol, surrounded by streets, trees and cobbled streets. The Clifton Suspension Bridge uh, is in Clifton. It's a world-famous bridge, iconic symbol of Bristol, designed by Isambard, Isambard uh, designed by Brunel in 1831 and completed in 1864 after his death. Uh, then we have the Gloucestershire County Cricket Club. A trick, triple alliteration there. Professional cricket located in Bristol. That would be nice to go see a cricket game. That's in the M4, M5 corridor. St. Mary's, St. Mary Redcliffe Church, one of the most beautiful churches in all of England and one of the finest examples of Gothic architecture. Uh, then we have Cabot Tower and Brandon Hill, a century-old 105-foot tower set in the gorgeous parkland 
of Brandon Hill near Park Street in the West End. Uh, Bristol Century, C- Central Library, uh, the Central Library, Landing Center, Learning, Lending Center, Learning Center, Children's Music and Business Art, Local History Libraries, uh, and Drama Collection, Family History Reference. Uh, holy cow, you got to see, you got, you should go, you got to go to visit bristol.co.uk because it has the Clifton Observatory at sunrise or sunset overlooking the suspension bridge and absolutely beautiful pick beautiful uh british tourist attraction camera obscura and cave uh and sits above avon gorge uh superb views of bristol wow i gotta check that out uh that one uh then the bristol cathedral much more than a fascinating building it's a fine example of a hall church, a center of Bristol history, civic life, and culture. You got the Bristol Old Vic Theater, the oldest working theater, showcases cutting-edge theater. Harrow's Bridge, a pedestrian footbridge that uh, suspends spans Bristol's floating harbor, named in honor of Perro Jones. Clifton Observatory's Giant's Cave, uh, sometimes known as Geiston's Cave, uh, uh, or the Foxhole. It's a natural cave of limestone in the limestone face of St. Vincent's Rocks in the Avon Gorge. Cleveden Pier is uh, the most beautiful pier in England, according to some people. It's the only grade one listed pier you can visit. Stunning views. George Mueller Museum. Uh, it uh, celebrates the incredible story of how George Mueller cared for and educated 10,000 orphans in Victorian Bristol. Uh, the Camera Obscura and Museum is only one of three working camera obscuras in the UK. A marvelous piece of Victorian engineering has sat on top of Clifton's Observatory Tower since 1828. The Castle Bridge, with its striking form snaking over the river, Castle Bridge connects the areas of Finzel Reach and Castle Park. Uh, St. James Priory, uh, the oldest church in Bristol that's still in operation, founded between 1124 and 1137 by the Earl of Gloucester. Gloucester, right? Then we got a bunch of Banksy. Holy moly. Uh, Banksy graffiti masked gorilla, an early Banksy of a gorilla in a pink mask. Uh, it was accidentally painted over in 2011, but was restored and is now uh, a version like uh, you can see the original. Uh, then we have Banksy, uh, a lover hanging, you know, hanging lover. Uh, Bristol's very own and establishment graffiti artist Banksy makes his mark. Uh, at a clinic with his iconic street work. You got Banksy's Mild Mild West. Uh, uh, another one. Uh, the girl with the pierced. Uh, you, you, you girl, Kind of like the girl. Like uh, it's a take on uh, the girl with pearl earring. Uh, but it's based on, you know, it has, it's uh, built around uh, stuff on the building. Banksy Cat and Dog. Uh, that's an early Banksy. With a cat uh, doing some some tagging, uh, Banksy graffiti paint pot angel. It was a reminder of the exhibition uh, Banksy versus Bristol held in two thousand nine. 
there's a statue of Cary Grant, life-size, uh, because of British-born actor's achievements unveiled in 2001. So it's just a little of the Br- Bristol Monuments. Let me just see what happens if I just click uh, their homepage. Uh, let's see, the city that doesn't just buzz, it thumps. Uh, it's a city with a story to tell, Bristol, enveloped in the hills of southwest England. It's, uh, has un- its own unmistakable I- identity, carved out by passionate locals and spirited fans. Uh, I mean, it does definitely does sound like I would love it here. So it will definitely be on my visits. Uh, and there's a lot more. Now, those of you in the U.S. like me say, well, where is Bristol exactly, Scoots? Like, can you give us a map? Uh, let's see. One second, please. Okay. I brought it up. It looks like it had opened up a Wikipedia article, too. It's a city and county in southwest England with a population of 449,300 as of 2016. Uh, the district has the uh, 10th largest population in England, uh, 12th largest metropolitan area in the UK. Somerset is in, borders north Somerset and south Gloucestershire. And let me just see, because we got the, what do we got, the M4. You say, okay, Scoots, I'm going to be in, you could get there from Birmingham, Birmingham or London. And actually, we've been out here before. Did I already cover it? I don't think so. So if if, if you were like me and you were staying, now you, you're staying in London, uh, or like the only time I went to London, I stayed in Reading, uh, past Slough, of course, uh, and uh, Swindon's not too far away either. But you just continue uh, uh, east, or is that west? You continue west on the M4. You get to Bristol. You could go also go to Cardiff. Uh, so how many miles? Um, I don't know. Uh, you want me to do, do that? Let's see. London is, well, London's 5,000 miles from where I am. I don't know. But, yeah, you, it doesn't look like, it looks like a, Let's see. I mean, Reading is like uh, one quarter of the way from London, I would say. But yeah, you could do, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of other places I've been that were on the way. You go Reading. Tonight is Newberry has some stone, old stones there. Like one of the Newberry monument, maybe. Newberry. Maybe, maybe not. I would. I don't know if there's a train. I mean, I would guess that a train goes along the same way as M4. But yeah, it looks like a nice drive. I mean, uh, you get. I'm trying to just see the other sites. Uh, uh, Marlborough. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth checking out. So that's a little bit about it. A little bit about that. Uh, well, let's just get this icing stuff straightened out before I forget, which will be the next episode. So hopefully I'll get it ironed out this episode. So royal icing, according to Wikipedia, is a hard white icing made from egg whites, icing sugar, sometimes lemon or lime juice, Christmas cookies, wedding cakes, and gingerbread houses, uh, and other stuff. Uh, It could either be used as a smooth covering or in sharp peaks. Uh, Glycerin is often added to keep it from setting too hard. when placing the icing on cakes, marzipan is usually under the royal icing to prevent discoloration of the icing. Proportions are usually two egg whites to one teaspoon of lemon juice. 
one teaspoon of glycerin and one pound of sugar. Wow. Uh, let's see. You could also use meringue powder, which is, I think the last time I made it, that's what I used. Uh, so it is okay to use it. So that's royal icing. Uh, meringue powder, hard, you know, flat, I guess. I know I've covered this before, but I can never remember this. So now I lost my page. Buttercream is icing or filling. And there's a few different ones. So there's a simple buttercream, creaming together fats, butter, margarine, or vegetable oil, powdered sugar. Typically twice as much sugar as butter by weight. Uh, well, so it's just butter. I don't think I've made buttercream then. Uh, you could also add flavorings. Uh, some call for cream or non-fat milk solids, flour, or meringue powder. And there's also three types of, oh, this is really big. So this is good because I was wondering this in for future episodes. There's also three types of meringue-based buttercream, Italian, Swiss, and American. Italian and Swiss meringues must be cooled to room temperature in order not to melt the butter, which has a variable melting point, and then it's subsequently beaten in. Uh, the American buttercream is a no-cook method, in which means there's no risk of melting the butter. There's also French buttercream, which is made with whipped egg yolks. A custard-based buttercream is uh, prepared by beating together pastry cream, softened butter, and maybe sweetened with confectioner's sugar. Uh, and then uh, I think the last one I was going to look up was fondant. I'll try to mix in non-food ones with these. Sorry, like uh, I'll put a warning on these. I mean, I guess it's a Great British Bake Off. Uh, fondant icing, commonly referred to as just fondant, uh, is an icing used to decorate or sculpt cakes and pastries. It's made from sugar, water, gelatin, vegetable fat, or shortening, and glycerol. It does not have the texture of most icings. Rolled fondant is akin to stiff clay. When poured, fondant is a thick, wet liquid. In the French, it means melting. And, yeah, there's a bunch of it, but it's the hard stuff that, uh, you know, used to shape stuff. I don't know, but that probably is different than the other one, which I don't have here. Maybe I should read more. Um, there's types. There's poured fondant. is creamy confection uses a filling or coating. Uh, sugar water stabilized with gelatin and glycerin. Uh, cooked to a softball stage. It cooled slightly and stirred or beaten to incorporate air until it is an opaque mass. This is from Wikipedia. With creamy consistency, sometimes flavors are added. An example would be the Cadbury cream egg, yeah, the filling of which is an inverted sugar syrup uh, processed, produced by processing fondant with invertase. Uh, fondant fancies are a type of cake uh, coated in poured fondant. And we have rolled fondant, fondant icing, or petty nice. Uh, which is not the same material as poured fondant. Uh, it's commonly decorating wedding cakes, uh, though wedding cakes are traditionally made with marzipan and royal icing. Fondant is becoming increasingly more common due to allergies. Rolled fondant includes gelatin or agar in uh, vegetarian recipes, uh, food-grade glycerin, which keeps the sugar pliable and creates a dough-like consistency. Rolled fondant is rolled out like a pie crust. Okay, they definitely use stuff like this used to cover the cake. 
commercial shelf-stable fondant is also consists of a sugar and hydrogenated oil. Oh, this is good because this came up too. Marshmallow fondant is a form of rolled fondant, uh, often made and used by home bakers and hobbyists. It's made by combining melted shelf-stable marshmallows, water, powdered sugar, and solid vegetable shortening. And home bakers use this recipe for homemade fondant due to the readily available access to the ingredients. I would say this is like a food hack. Uh, sculpting fondant is similar to rolled fondant, but stiffer. Sugar paste or gum paste is similar to rolled fondant, but hardens completely. And a little chemistry lesson from Wikipedia. Poured uh, fondant is formed by supersaturating water with sucrose. More than twice as much sugar dissolves in water at the boiling point than at room temperature. After the sugar, sucrose dissolves, the solution, if the solution is left to cool undisturbed, the sugar remains dissolved in the supersaturated solution until nucleation occurs. When the solution is supersaturated, if a cook puts a seed crystal, undissolved sucrose into the mix or agitates the solution, the dissolved sucrose crystallizes to form large crunchy crystals. This is how rock candy is made. However, the cook lets the solution cool undisturbed, then stirs it vigorously. It forms many tiny crystals, resulting in a smooth textured fondant. fondant hashtag fondant facts. Uh, okay. What about matcha, man? Let's talk about it. Uh, I got some matcha powder. I got some matcha powder for you. I do. Uh, English uh, matcha uh, is finely ground powder of specially grown and processed green tea leaves, uh, traditionally consumed in East Asia. It is special in two aspects, farming and processing. This is from Wikipedia. Green tea plants are, are shade grown for three to four weeks before harvest. Stems and veins are removed. Uh, and during that growth, it produces more thanine and caffeine. The powdered form of matcha is consumed differently from tea leaves or tea bags as is suspended in liquid, typically water or milk. Traditional Japanese tea ceremony centers on the preparation, serving, and drinking of matcha's hot tea and embodies a med- meditative spirituality. In modern times, matcha is also used to flavor and dye foods such as mochi or soba, green tea ice cream, and lattes, confectionaries. Uh, In history, history, in China, during the Tang Dynasty, tea leaves were steamed and formed into tea bricks for storage. And then the tea was prepared by roasting, then pulverizing the tea, decocting the tea and decocting the resulting tea powder and hot water adding salts during the song dynasty the massive method of powder making powdered tea from steam prepared dried tea leaves and preparing the beverage by whipping the tea powder and hot water together in a bowl became popular preparation and consumption of tea was formed in a ritual by chan or zen buddhists uh, uh, Zen Buddhism and uh, the, the Japanese methods of preparing powdered tea were brought to Japan in 1191. Uh, production, we talked about that. So that's just a little bit about it. There's a lot more here on uh, 
Um, wow, there's a ton. Holy cow. Really good article on Wikipedia about matcha. Uh, white chocolate. Again, I probably could talk about this every few years. I love white chocolate. Not too much, you know, just it, it definitely it's only good in a, a smaller amounts. Uh, otherwise, you say you get kind of like whatever. Why, what is it? It's a chocolate conf- confection made from cocoa butter, milk, sugar, sal- sugar, milk salads, and sometimes vanilla. Does not contain cocoa salads, uh, which are forms in other types of chocolate. It's solid at room temperature because the melting, melting point of cocoa butter, the only cocoa bean component of white chocolate, is uh, 35 degrees Celsius, Celsius, 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, so that's why it's not, it doesn't have cocoa salads, uh, chocolate, and uh, which is a con- con- constituent of conventional chocolate liqueur, liquor, chocolate in its raw and sweetened form. During manufacturing, the dark colored salads are separated from the fatty content. In the EU, to be white chocolate, it must be at least 20% cocoa butter, 14% milk salads, and 35 3.5% milk fat and the u.s actually wow we actually <laughs> all the things that we even follow those standards uh but it can include no more than 55 percent sugar or other sweeteners before 2004 american firms were required to have temporary marketing permits to sell white chocolate but well, i guess in 2004 i said yeah just whatever but it sounds like i don't know you know how it goes uh, History-wise, very short here, 30, 1936, Gallic was launched in European by Nestle, in Europe by Nestle. Then other companies developed their own formulas uh, from 1948 till the 1990s. Uh, Nestle produced a white chocolate bar with almonds called Alpine White for markets in the U.S. and Canada. Hershey was making white chocolate cookie kisses in the 1990s. And then they made a swirl one called the hug. So that's white chocolate. This one's interesting because robust biscuits are kind of, I think, a form of hardtack, which is a a simple type of biscuit or cracker made from flour, water, and salt, inexpensive, long-lasting, and used for sustenance in the absence of perishable foods during long sea voyages land migrations, and military campaigns. Along with salt pork, hardtack was a standard ration for many uh, militaries uh, and navies in the 17th, 18th, and 19th century. The term derived from tack, which is a sailor slang for food. Uh, The introduction of baking of processed cereals, including the creation of flour, provided a more reliable source of food. Egyptian uh, sailors uh, carried a flat, brittle loaf of millet bread. Romans uh, had a biscuit called something. Uh, Then uh, the Crusades had a biscuit of muslin, which is barley, bean flour, and rye. As the biscuits would soften and be, as the biscuits would soften and become more palatable at time due to exposure to humidity, humidity and weather elements, uh, the bakers of time made the biscuits as hard as possible. Because it was baked hard, it would stay intact for years if kept dry. 
For long voyages, hardtack was baked four times rather than the common two and prepared six months before sailing. Because it is dry and hard, hardtack will survive rough handling and extreme temperatures. Unmoistened hardtack was inedible and nearly dense enough to stop things. Uh, could be dunked in brine coffee or another liquid or cooked into a skillet meal. We even see that on, uh, what do you call that, Star Wars, uh, uh, the first, uh, the, the ninth one, one, two, three, four, five, six, the seventh one, I guess. Ray has some hard tank or something, you know, their version of it. Uh, let's see, it's crumbled, you know, it can be used as a thickener. It was a key ingredient in chowders. Uh, then, uh, that's how water crackers or biscuits, uh, you know, that's where they came from. Even, uh, gold miners, gold prospectors used it, wagon trains, uh, yeah. So this has got a lot of history, modern use, uh, it, you can still buy us uh, 24. Yeah. It's still very, uh, calorie dense. Uh, so yeah. And again, very, very, uh. Got a lot of, uh, I don't know how, I mean, but crackers don't last that long, right? Oh, yeah, let's see. This is in the U.S. The current uh, Interbake Foods produces most, if not all, of the commercially available hardtack in the U.S. under Sailor Boy label. 98% of the production goes to Alaska. Uh, originally imported as a fruit, food product that could endure the rigors of transportation, it's, it's still a favored food even as other less robust foods that were more readily available. So that's interesting. I might buy some, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on Amazon and see if they have some of that salad boy just to try it out. So yeah, you could kind of picture me enjoying my uh, hard tack, uh, with a side of coffee, probably, uh, or sparkling water or tea, maybe matcha, matcha and hard tack is on my, uh, my future. Good night. Oh, whoops. Here's actually not good night. Well, you probably good night wherever you are. It's a good night to talk to you because Scoots is coming right up with more stuff. Uh, I think good, 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 good night or good talking to you soon. All right, everybody. Uh, this is uh, like another uh, collection of facts. This is from episode two, kind of uh, some of the facts from episode two. You may have already heard more that I looked up. Uh, but yeah, hey, patrons, thanks for supporting the show. Uh, before we get to episode two, this is Welford Park. Uh, is this is the first. This is literally the break. This is for me. This is breaking news because I didn't even know what it was called till just uh, like thirty seconds ago when I clicked on this link. So this is the first time I'm learning this. Country house and estate in the village of Welford, Welford in the English country of Berkshire, Berkshire, Berkshire. Uh, 5.2 5. 5. miles west of Newberry, 10.9 south, miles south of Wantage. It's a grade I listed building. Uh, the Church of uh, Welford St. Gregory, one of only two existing round tower churches in Berkshire, or Berkshire, is it located adjacent to the house. Uh, the various chalk streams that make up the river river Lambourne flow through its grounds. Oh boy, those are those streams. 
look at this. Uh, I don't, we might spend most of our time talking about this. The state opens its grounds to the public every year for about four weeks to enable visitors to see carpet, the carpets of snowdrops that line the riverbanks and flow through the woods. So we're going to go back and do some of that. But uh, it's the site of a monastic grange, uh, Lagrange, uh, that belonged to Abington Abbey from the Anglo-Saxon times. Henry VIII used it as a hunting lodge. Uh, later, it was granted to Sir Thomas Perry, comptroller of Queen Elizabeth I. It was his main residence, and his son moved in. Welford was used as a dower church for his mother. The existing house dates are from about 1652. Oh, snowdrops are right in here. Perfect. Uh, so there's a lot about the history. Welford Park is a private residence, and for most of the year, its grounds aren't open to the public. However, in a tradition that is now over 50 years old, uh, the grounds are now open to enable visitors to... This could be a good on-location episode if I could get over there. I don't know what, when it is. Maybe 2022. Uh, the grounds are open to enable visitors to view the year's bloom of snowdrops. And to lesser extents, aconites, uh, flowers that thrive on the chalky soil, forming a white carpet across the state's riverside beach woodland. Uh, the actual dates vary from year to year, depending on the state of the blooms. In recent years, the park has been open for about four weeks from late winter from Wednesday to Sunday. As one of the first signs of the end of winter, Welford snowdrops are generally well covered by local, na- sometimes national press, uh, and attract loud, r- large crowds of visitors. Car parking is free of charge at a nearby car park, although there is an admission fee for the grounds. Okay, so let's learn about snowdrops. Uh, snowdrops are a small genus of uh, about 20 species of bulbous perennial herbaceous plants in the family. Amaryllidaceae, something. Uh, let's just skip the science parts. Uh, the perennial peltoid, herbaceous bulbous, growing from bulbs. Monocot plants. Two leaves, pendulous white flowers with six parent uh, segments in two whorls. Uh, this is all facts. Distributions and habitats. Uh, taxonomy. Phylogeny, subdivision. They're quite pretty. I would have pitched them more if it was a carpet on the floor, but they actually come up off the ground. But maybe those there's a lot of different ones, too, you know. Oh, yeah, Snowdrop is a garden. So it was celebrated as a sign of spring. Snowdrops may perform impressive carpets of white in areas where they are native or have been naturalized. Uh, and these displays may attract a large number of sightseers. There are notable snowdrop gardens in England, Wales, and more. Okay, so that's one thing. I just want to see um, beyond snowdrops. I want to look up about chalk something. Oh, chalk streams. And then I want to see exactly what this is. Chalk streams are rivers that arise from springs. Oh, boy, you know we love springs and landscapes with chalk bedrock. Since chalk is permeable, water percolates easily through the ground to the water table. And chalk streams rarely, therefore receive little surface runoff. As a result, the water in the streams is, uh, contains very little organic matter, and sediment is generally very clear. 
and the beds of the river are generally composed of clean, compact gravel and flints, which are good for spawning areas uh, for fish. Since they are primarily fed by aquifers, the flow rate, mineral content, and temperature range exhibit less seasonal variation than other rivers. Uh, mildly alkaline and uh, chalk streams of a- England, uh, although they generally originate watercourses from chalk hills, including winterborns, streams, and rivers. The term chalk stream is used for larger rivers, which would normally be too large to be considered a stream. Uh, chalk streams of the Southern English England Chalk Formation in Berkshire, Hampshire, Wiltshire, and Dorset. Uh, there's a lot of them. Wow. I mean, this is this is actually the stuff I'm into. Is how did you sleep with me? Keep keep going into 2080. Well, Scooter did that a series of chalk stream episodes uh, that spanned 14 years. Uh, funded by the BBC 12, uh, which that worked out. Okay, let's see where Welford is, though, physically, for those of us that don't any know anything, which is including me. Like, compare, like, what airport transport? Uh, it's on the M4. RAF Welford is, uh, oh, US, Air, US is there. Uh, village was formerly served by the Welford Park Railway Station, but British Railway Railways closed that line in 1960. Now, oh, where you can park for the flower display. But, yeah, how do you get there? I see a map within. Uh, well, that's just within the, the county. Um, River Lamborn, town in Newberry. I'm just going to look up uh, a map on the old, uh, the old you know, map, map system here. Okay, oh, boy, I clicked the wrong button, of course. Uh, Trying to close the thing, Majig. Yeah, I just want to look at uh, how do you close the sidebar when it's not on an app? Uh, well, I guess they're not going to let me do that. Okay, Newberry's pretty close. So, where else? Uh, where are we looking at? Uh, Southampton, Southampton, and Port Portsmouth are uh, south, uh, south of it. It looks like uh, Birmingham, Birmingham, Birmingham. Excuse me, Oxford. Oh, okay, Oxford's not far away, so it's not too far. It's kind of due west. Oh, it's Reading. I've stayed. I stayed in the only time I went to London. I actually stayed in Reading. So. Just continue on the M4 West. I took it would take a train into London to do touristy stuff. Uh, yes, and then so uh, probably drove by there when I went to Oxford to visit, not to go to Oxford. Let's see, Newberry. Where's what else? Swindon. What's Swindon famous for? Who knows? Uh, well, you know, good work. Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit about uh, Welford Park. And what else? So season series nine, we're going to get back to episode two, Cakes, uh, Burphy. Anthony worked on a Burphy, which is a dense milk-based uh, sweet from the Indian subcontinent, uh, uh, from the Persian word for snow. Uh, it can be enhanced with fruits, such as mango or coconut, nuts. Spices, 
there's a lot of different types of burfi. Uh, and yeah, there's even a, a book about it. Or it could be barfi. Uh, it's spelled with an A or a U. Turan. Bryony was working on a tour, T-U-R-R-O-N, which is a Southern European nougat confection made from honey sugar, egg white, toasted almonds, or nuts in a rectangular tablet or round cake uh, consumed as a traditional Christmas dessert in Spain and Italy. It's known in Turan, Toro, Tyrone. Probably it was Tyrone originally. Like That's probably how I'm supposed to be saying it. Uh, uh, it's all derived from the Latin T-O-R-R-E-R Torere to toast. Uh, Isorum East uh, could be from a uh, Islamic Spain uh, Muslim recipe Turun, T-U-R-U-N, or possibly ancient Greek recipe. It can be a variety of consistencies and appearances. Uh, traditional Spanish Tyrone, though, could be hard with the compact block or soft, uh, where the almonds are in a paste. Um, and it looks familiar. You, you, I mean, I don't know when the last time I had it. Uh, oh, you can you also. Uh, that's right. Is that isn't that what a banana lumpius Tyrone? Cashew Tyrone, no, no, Philippine uh, is a bar of marzipan with cashew nuts. Yeah, but a, der- a derivative, but uh, a different one is Tyrone, a dessert of lumpia. Yeah, I knew that, uh, which is a banana plantain, brown sugar, and wrapped and fried. Yeah, Ricky that I worked with uh, in my day job, uh, when we'd have a potluck, he would bring it. Uh, so thanks, Ricky. Okay, what else? Uh, what is this? This has its own thing. Oh no, pina colada, pina colada, strained pineapple getting caught in the rain. Uh, pineapple, coconut, white rum. Um, preparation. Yeah, I don't want to read. I can't read any more about this. I mean, though, that's my favorite. Uh, Virgin, or no, yeah, pina colada. That's like what I like. Uh, Hawaiian shirts, aloha shirt, or Hawaiian shirt is a dress shirt originating from Hawaii, uh, mostly short sleeved. History that can be traced to the 20s or the 30s, also called the aloha shirt. So I'll link to, well, you could link to it through, but this is all from Wikipedia. Uh, what about Black Forest? Uh, it had, we had some Black Forest cake recently. Now it's from a box, and it was not uh, made into just a. It was just a mix, and it just was a little dry. It was not a Black Forest gateau or a cake, uh, which is a chocolate sponge cake with a rich. Oh yeah, didn't have definitely didn't have a rich cherry filling. Uh, like uh. Typically, Black Forest Ghetto consists of several layers of chocolate sponge cake sandwiched with whipped cream and cherries, uh, decorated with whipped cream and cherries and chocolate shavings. Sometimes you use sour cherry, too. It's not named directly after Black Forest Mountain Range, uh, 
but maybe as a, a name from a liqueur uh, that's distilled from tart cherries. Uh, so, yeah, and there's a lot, you know, of course there's a lot more you could read if you would say, I got to get really deep on this. Uh, I think we've covered marzipan, but let's just double check. A confectionery of sugar and honey and almond meal, sometimes augmented with almond oil or extract. Uh, Made into sweets, uh, could be shaped into imitations of fruits and vegetables or, you know, different characters. It's used around the world. Uh, yeah, uh, it can be, you know, obviously known as many different words for it. Uh, there's stuff about it, uh, you know, there's tons of things. But uh, to produce marzipan, raw almonds are cleaned by sieving air eluteration or something or other ways uh, immersed in water with a temperature just below boiling for about five minutes and aka blanching which loosens almond skin which is removed by them passing through rubber rubber coated rotating cylinders and this helps increase the water content and they're cooled coarsely chopped and ground up with 35 percent sugar into almond flour up to 35%. Then it's cooled, after which sucrose and a binding agent, such as starch or sorbitol syrup, are added, and then it can be molded. You know, if that's if you're working on a, uh, in a mars, you know, marzipan, industrial marzipan, rhubarb is uh, something I love, a vegetable derived from uh, uh, herbaceous perennial growing, short, thick rhizomes. Uh, it's often called the rhubarb. Uh, the whole plant's often called the rhubarb. Uh, historically, different plants have been called rhubarb. I used to love uh, rhubarb pie. I don't think I don't know. People say strawberry rhubarb pie, and I'm like, I thought we just had rhubarb pie. I don't remember the strawberry, and it could have been in there. Uh, large triangular leaves, uh, small flowers, uh, precise uh, like idea of culinary rhubarb's unknown. Uh, the like uh, open pollinated seeds. Uh, although rhubarb's a vegetable, it's often put in uh, like uh, with fruits. Uh, leaves can be used raw, like they're crisp like celery, but it's commonly cooked with sugar and used in pies, crumbles, and other divert- desserts. Uh, they have a strong tart taste. And yeah, there's a lot about rhubarb. Uh, wow, a lot of it. There's even dried strawberry-flavored rhubarb. And yeah, homemade rhubarb pie. You can make a rhubarb jam. It's uh, it could possibly, like according to Wikipedia, used in traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, and then yeah, you say, well, you got to be careful when you're cooking with rhubarb. It says uh, pandan. Pandanus uh, is a genus of monocots, 750 accepted species, palm like dio, see something trees. Uh, uh, let's see, let's get to the culinary part though. Cultivations and uses, you can use it in cake. Uh, pandan leaves, are, uh, um, let's see. Are used heavily in veg- vegetable and meat dishes. Uh, it can be grown in homes. Uh, it is common practice uh, to add a few pieces of pandan leaf uh, when cooking red or white rice. Uh, also used in sweets and coconut jam, pandan cake, rice curry dishes, depending on where in the world you are. 
and uh, long list of species here. So if you want to learn more about pandan, you can do that. Chiffon cake uh, is a light cake, vegetable oils, uh, vegetable oil, eggs, sugar, flour, baking powder, flavorings, butter shortening. Uh, as a result, chiffon cakes as well as angel cakes and other foam cakes have a fluffy texture by having egg whites beaten separately and still stiff and then folded into the batter uh, before baking. Uh, so they its aeration properties rely on both the quality of the meringue and the chemical leaveners. Uh, distinctive feature is because of vegetable oil, oh, instead of butter shortening, which makes it difficult to beat the air right into the batter. The Chiffon cake combines methods used with other sponge cakes, baking powder. Oh, I just said that. Uh, yeah. Uh, characteristics, uh, high oil and egg content make it a moist cake. Uh, as oil is liquid, even at cooler temperatures, they don't tend to harden or dry out as traditional butter cakes might. So it lasts longer. Lemon chiffon or yeah, chiffon cupcakes. So that that was what Kim Joy was working on, though. Yeah, okay, let's do a couple more here. Uzu, yuzu. Uh, we may have talked about this too, but this is citrus fruit uh, in the family root. Uh, it's in a, a plant family, of course. It's uh, believed to originate in central China as a hybrid of a mandarin orange and uh, I Chang papeda. Uh, it's also called Yuha in Korean cuisine. Yuzu, I think it's right. Yuzu or Uzu. The fruit looks something like a small grapefruit with uneven skin. It could be yellow or green, depending on how ripe it is. Uh, they're very aromatic. Um, they form an upright shrub or a small tree. And, uh... Let's see what else. Cultivation, variety, use. Rarely eaten as a fruit in Japan. Uh, it could be used as an aromatic zest uh, in the way, or like a juice as a lemon juice might be used. It's tart and fragrant, uh, closely resembling that of uh, grapefruit with overtones of mandarin orange. It's an integral ingredient in citrus-based sauces like ponzu. And yuzu vinegar. Uh, in Korean cuisine, uh, it can be used in tea, marmalade, sugaring, peeling. Oh, uh, it can be used in a dish where it's sugared, peeled, depulped, and thinly sliced. It's uh, mostly known for its characteristically strong aroma, and the oil from its skin it can be marketed as a fragrance. Uh, you can even bathe with it. Which, I mean, that sounds great to me. Okay, let's see. One or two more things. We did Black Forest. Uh, what am I missing here? Genoise? Uh, Genoise? Genoise. Uh, G-E-N-O-I-S-E. Genoise uh, is a kind of Italian sponge cake uh, named after the city of Genoa, associated with Italian and French cuisine. It doesn't use chemical leavening. Air is suspended in the batter during mixing. So it sounds very similar to the uh, other cake. That's the name I forgot already. But uh, 
It's a whole egg cake, uh, unlike other sponge egg cakes, which is, which, oh, this one, the yolks and the whites are beaten together with sometimes extra yolks, uh, sugar, and heated at the same time. This stage is known as the ribbon uh, stage. It's a fairly lean cake, getting most of its fat from egg yolks. Uh, but some recipes do add melted butter in. It's a building block of uh, some French pastries uh, and used for different making different kinds of cake. Uh, the batter is usually baked to form a thin sheet. When f- oh yes, yeah, so this must have been the roll. And when finished, the sheet is rolled while still warm to make jelly rolls, or cut and stacked in layers, or line in a mold to be f- filled with frozen desserts. Uh, a variety of fillings can be used: jelly, chocolate, fruit pastry, cream, whipped cream. Uh, it can be piped in strips to make lady fingers or into molds to make madeleines. I love madeleines. Uh, um, the one, yeah, those are one of my the cakes that I uh, say, okay, I can't buy those because I'd eat them all. So that's it. That's a little bit of stuff uh, that was on Wikipedia about uh, uh, episode two, the cake episode uh, from uh, whatever this was, collection. I don't know what they call it in Netflix. Uh, Series 9, we'll say, because that's the official title. All right, uh, I guess this is probably the end, so I'll see you on the next uh, Patreon Extra or on another regular episode. uh, But there's nothing regular when you're listening. So I hope I've been keeping you company, uh, and I'll talk to you on this next episode. Thanks.